So good morning. It's uh, good to be back here at Canyon Creek. I'm Stephen Heinzel Nelson, uh, the pastor at the Allentown Presbyterian Church in Allentown, New Jersey, and I'm married to the executive director of Villages in Partnership. And I think this is our sixth, fifth, sixth year of coming uh, to worship here uh, with you at Canyon Creek, as you were one of the very first church partners of the work that we uh, are doing over in Africa. We have church partners all over the country now, uh, in Arizona, Chicago, here in Texas, in Virginia, New York, and, and of course in New Jersey. Um, I did not bring the weather with us uh, this year, uh, but I do appreciate the uh, ambiance that makes us feel very much at home um, here uh, this weekend uh, with you. Texas. Uh, since we were here last year, uh, God has been blessing us in so many ways in our ministry, in our work, and in our personal lives. Uh, we are now grandparents uh, since last year. Our oldest daughter had a little boy in July who's about six months old now. And um, But, you know, uh, what Megan said is when we come back here, because we've been here uh, so faithfully and you've invited us so regularly, it's come to feel much more like a family connection than just a, a church partnership. And so we're grateful uh, to be here. As we get ready to hear the word of God, would you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for the opportunity to hear you speak. There are so many noises and distractions and voices clamoring for our attention. But when we come here, uh, there's only one voice that we long to hear, and that's you. So speak to us through the gift of your word. In Christ's name, amen. The word of God uh, comes to us this morning from the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm number 40, uh, verses 1 through 5. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but we can certainly identify with whoever it was, as this person is in plight and he calls out to God. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. The word of the Lord. I want to talk to you uh, this morning about being extracted from the mud. The fact of the matter is that if we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to call ourselves the people of God, there are going to be times in which God is going to send us to extract people from the mud, to get our hands dirty, to get down into the dirt and the mire and the difficulties and the hardships of life. 
because that is the pattern of God. The fact of the matter is all of us at different times have found ourselves in places where we feel stuck or in a pit, where we're going through times that are just extraordinarily difficult. And when you're in that place of trial, of difficulty, the last thing you need is somebody who comes and sort of stands far in judgment of how you got yourself into that mess. Or somebody who offers you some good advice of what you should do to get yourself out of it. No, when, when you're stuck in the mud, what you want is somebody to get down there with you, to come alongside of you who's willing to get their hands or their lives dirty in order to draw you up out of that pit, out of that place of mud. This is exactly what we find in the story of Scripture. This is how our God is in the world. Andy read the beginning of the story of the Exodus, the time in which the children of God found themselves in the miry bog of slavery in the mud pits of Egypt, literally in the mud pit of Egypt. We know that one of the works that the slaves were doing was making bricks for Pharaoh's building projects. And the way you make bricks is you mix water and dirt in order to make mud and you tramp on it with your feet and then put that mud into molds and set the molds aside. I know this because I've done this. When we go over to Malawi, often one of the things that we do is make bricks so that people can build their homes or houses or schools or other uh, structures out of the bricks made out of mud. Now tramping in a mud pit for a morning when you're a missionary on the ground is actually kind of fun. But I wouldn't want to do it all day long. And I certainly wouldn't want to do it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for no pay, with no hope. But that is exactly the situation that God's people found themselves in. And they cry out to God, and it says that God heard their cry. God took notice of them. But then notice what it says in Exodus uh, chapter 3. The Lord is speaking to Moses. He says, I not only observed the misery of the people, I not only heard their cry, indeed I know their sufferings, but then he says, I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up. Our God is not a God who stands afar observing and watching the sufferings of people. No, God from the very beginning is a God who makes a decision to come down and get his hands dirty, to enter into the sufferings of this fallen, broken world, to come alongside of the people who need to know him. That's exactly the situation that this unknown author of the 40th Psalm found himself. He was, said, it's like I'm in a pit of despair. I'm in a miry bog covered with mud. I'm stuck in my life. And I called out to God. And what happened? He says, God drew me up. If you're going to draw somebody up out of a mud pit, that means you've got to get down in the pit with him. This unknown sufferer experienced the presence of God coming alongside of him, holding him up and drawing him out. That is the pattern of God in the world. 
And we see that most profoundly in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God become one of us, the God who comes down into the world that he created. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this. He says, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this, exhibits this, or results from this. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots of the seabed of the nature he created. And then Lewis gives us this image. One may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, down into the mud and the mire of life, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. That's you me. Jesus gets his hands dirty. Not just dirty, he gets them pierced to come down into the mud pit and the mire and the dirtiness and the brokenness of our lives so that he can bring us back up again. That's the gospel. That's our story. And if that's our story, friends, then that must become our way of life, the way that we are called to be in the world. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not a way of life for people who don't want to get involved, who people just want, who, for people who just want to sit idly by and let other people do the work. That is not what God calls us to do. God calls us to get involved, to come alongside of the people in the world who need us the most, who find themselves stuck. I want to talk to you about people who are stuck in one of the most difficult, dirtiest places you can imagine. It's called the mud pit of extreme poverty. Now, you have probably seen poor people you know people who show up at your food banks or soup kitchens or who are sleeping on the streets here in Plano or Dallas. Those are poor people. But that kind of poverty is nothing compared to the pit of extreme poverty. It's a pit in which one billion members of our human family find themselves today, including people living in a remote region of a tiny country called Malawi, Africa. And that's exactly where God sent my wife and I 10 years ago and subsequently has brought folks just like you into that particular miry bog. Hans Rosling is a uh, Swedish physician, academic, statistician, professor of international health, a TED Talk maven. He's had over 40 million views of his TED Talks. He passed away about a year ago, 
but he wrote a book before he died called Factfulness. And in that book, he describes four different levels of uh, human uh, economic prosperity. You and I live on level four, the highest level. But as I said, one billion people on planet Earth live in level one, the level he calls extreme poverty. And this is how he describes it. Five children spend hours walking barefoot with a single plastic bucket, fetching water from a dirty water hole a mile away. On the way home, they gather firewood. You prepare the same great porridge you've been eating every meal, every day, your whole life, except the months where the soil didn't yield enough crops, so you went to bed hungry. That is what we have seen. That, my friends, is a place where no one wants to find themselves. And what God has asked us to do, villages in partnership and our partner churches, including the very good people here, is to come down into that pit and get our hands dirty with our friends. To risk our lives in order to draw them up out of the pit of extreme poverty. And that is what God has been doing and is doing in ways that are so profound by getting dirty alongside of our friends, we're seeing lives being transformed and being changed. So I'd like to invite the executive director to tell you about one such person and the difference you're making. barefoot on dusty paths, one million orphans. Statistics like this can be hard to wrap our heads around. These statistics can feel so overwhelming, it feels like the mud is so thick. How can we ever make a difference? What can be done? I want to tell you a story to help us get a handle on this kind of statistic and what can be done. While we lived in Malawi, we began to rebuild a medical clinic identified by the villages as the first project because it was a crumbling brick shack. And as we began to work, I would return from the village in the evening and to download my pictures into my laptop and I began to notice that there was this one smiling little face that seemed to be appearing in all my photos, no matter what we were doing. Whether we were meeting with the chiefs and grassroots leaders making bricks under the mango tree, there he was. Whether we were in the mud pit making bricks, there he was. Whether we were playing with the kids, or working to remove rubble, he was there. No matter what we were doing, this little kid was always with us. Eventually, I learned his name was Sidney, and he was so full of curiosity, wondering who are these strangers, why are they here, what are they doing helping us? He was so willing to join in whatever we were doing. 
And the one thing that you can't miss about this kid is that when he smiles, despite his circumstances, despite the conditions he lives in, when he smiles, he just lights up the room. He radiates light. The following summer, I went to live in the villages and was taken to meet a vulnerable family, a child-headed household. I brought along a few gifts, some plastic cups, toothbrushes, spoons, and a blanket. Small items, but to the people living in the villages, these are luxuries. They don't have these kind of things. They eat with their hands. They pass a common cup. They sleep in the same clothes they wore during the day. They don't have pajamas. They have one set of clothing. They sleep without a blanket. And even though it's Africa, it gets cold at night. When we arrived at the house of this vulnerable family, the homeowners weren't there, and so my host sent the children to go look for them. And we chatted under the thatched roof. While we were waiting for the family to appear, my host began to tell me that this family, the father had disappeared years ago, and the mother had just died that summer. All of a sudden, who should come around the corner? Sydney. Sydney, Uribanji, I haven't seen you in so long. How have you been doing? And he stood there, his face dark, downcast, and I suddenly realized that Sydney was the homeowner my host had been telling me about. Sydney was a child-headed household. I felt so embarrassed handing him a couple of plastic cups and spoons. He's the head of his household now. He's a child, and he's got a younger sister to care for. He's responsible for bringing in the harvest, for collecting the water, for gathering firewood to cook, and I give him a couple of plastic cups. Orphan, child-headed household, vulnerable. Suddenly, these words took on a new meaning for me. Sydney has become one in a million, one million orphans. He's joined the miserable, muddy statistic of one million orphans. Such an overwhelming statistic. How can we really make a difference? I want to tell you, you are making a difference. You are joining together with others in this messy business of extreme poverty. You have decided to get your hands dirty. And this morning, as you're sitting in the pews, maybe trying to clean your fingernails from the mud, I'm here to reassure you 
that you are making a difference. Sydney, gotta go. Goats make a huge difference to vulnerable families. The breed that we distribute tends to twin. And the first goat that a, a the first kid that a goat has, they pass on, and then they get to keep all the goats after that. They sell goats, they pay for school fees, they pay for extra food that they need in their home. Goats make a difference. Then we sent Sydney to school. I need to share with you what Sydney said in his own words of how we are making a difference. sound? Let me go back and start this again. Give me the thumbs up when you guys are ready. Okay. I like today, like, we study culture of people, the, how they live, what the problem they have, and how can we solve it. I want to, to help in in a village, like developing communities, we like working, grant us Oh, so maybe someday you will be working next to Mr. Benonway <laughs> and Mr. Malabu. Yeah. Wow. See, I myself, uh, I have been extracted from, from the mind. I was not thinking, I can see you people who go yeah. Choose me in Fiji. We have a lot of people there. We are struggling with education. But I have been chosen as one to maybe it's a good way that I should help in the village, not in my way. Sydney has been extracted from the mud. This, this interview with Sydney was what inspired our message today. Sydney just returned to college this last week. He is now a freshman at African Bible College. And Sydney's not the only one. He's not the only life that we're changing. You've provided boreholes, wells, for hundreds of people. This year we have 14 college students and 60 secondary school students for whom we're paying secondary school fees. Women are opening up small businesses. Farmers are harvesting no matter what the weather. And as we come alongside the vulnerable, the poor, the child-headed households, somehow God extracts us from the mud. I'm still in my pit of muddy and soggy selfishness. But together, God can use even a dirty sinner like myself to answer someone's prayer. Would you pray with us? God, thank you so much for the privilege of representing you, for you were the one who came and uh, drew us up 
you came alongside of us and come alongside of us when we're in those dark places. And through your love, you set us free and ask us to now do the same. And so we are grateful for this beautiful partnership that we have forged with our brothers and sisters through the Canyon Creek Presbyterian Church and together how you continue to send us to this place of despair and the way in which we continue the, the, the motion and the ministry of, that you modeled for us, getting down and getting dirty so that we can draw people up and put a new song in their mouth, a song of praise for our God. In Christ's name.